I know firsthand how exhausting it can be to manage all the tasks in my reselling business, like listing, bookkeeping, and more, but I've found a solution that has given me back my time and allowed me to grow my business, hiring a virtual assistant. And now I want to share that solution with you. That's why I've created an online course called Hiring a Virtual Assistant for Your Reselling Business. With this course, you'll learn everything you need to know to find, train, and manage a virtual assistant like a pro. And because I want to make this course accessible to everyone, I'm offering a special coupon code, Flip the Script, that gives you $10 off at checkout. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your reselling business to the next level. Sign up now at hiringava.com and let's enjoy the freedom and fun of growing our businesses together. Again, you can sign up at hiringava.com. Welcome to the Flip the Script podcast. I'm your host, Denali, and I'm a full-time reseller on eBay and Poshmark. My store and closet name is El Ducho, E-L-D-U-C-H-O, and you can find me on Instagram and YouTube as El Ducho Thrift. Today, we have a very special guest with us, and his name is Phil. You can find Phil on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube under the username Found by Phil. Phil is a full-time self-employed entrepreneur who manages two careers, reselling and graphic design. In today's episode, we'll be talking about all parts of his reselling business and the journey to how he arrived at the space he's in today. So sit back, relax, and let's get started with this super fun conversation that we had. Hi, Phil. Thanks for being on the podcast with me today. Hi, Denali. Thank you so much for having me on. I am so excited to have you here. As we were just talking before we started recording, I've often been in your DMs talking about our mutual love of scary movies. And we yes, don't often and the talk about footage. <laughs> found footage for anybody who loves scary movies. Phil and I are found footage fans of that genre. That's so niche. I feel like some people are going to be like, what are they talking about? <laughs> So I'm excited to actually talk about your journey because there is so much here that I already feel like I'm going to have so many questions about. So I guess my first question for you, Phil, is how and when did you first start reselling? Yeah, so I I want to say I started reselling when I was like 12. I was really, really into eBay in the early aughts when it first came out. And I don't know if you remember it back then, but it was like, definitely a wild wild west what was going on there <laughs> um, yeah. much more than it is now but I was actually I was going to the library and burning dvds from the library and then selling them on ebay because <laughs> oh I didn't understand gosh. I didn't understand piracy back then and I didn't know how horrible that was anyways that was on my dad's account so his account got banned for a little bit for doing that but beyond that I was an avid thrifter in high school and just kind of fashion obsessed. And I would go to the thrift store and cut jeans into short shorts. That was kind of my thing. And then I was also well known in my high school for like wearing cardigans, which if you follow me on Instagram, I still have a weird sweater thing going on. <laughs> um, so I would actually go to the thrift store. And then once I got a couple wares out of stuff, I would sell it back to like local buy, buy, sell trade stores. So I guess that's kind of reselling. And when I moved like professionally, I would sell like 
old work clothes that I didn't really wear anymore. I would kind of mm-hmm. sell that stuff on eBay. I ended up in New York and I'd always been thrifting, whether I would go to the thrift store and like buy anything or just kind of like hang out. <laughs> One of those like thrift hangout people. I, when I was in New York, I kind of realized that I was spending a lot of time there and I could be buying stuff and selling it. And then it kind of just all clicked all of a sudden. And I quickly took over our second bedroom and our very, very small apartment and kind of went all out. I'm kind of a zero to 100 kind of person. So (laughs) it quickly took over from there. Okay. So, okay. I have a lot of questions and I know the journey goes beyond that a little bit, but let me, let's go back (laughs) to burning. No, it's okay. That was great. You gave me a lot to work with. I I already taking notes here. So (laughs) Back to burning CDs and <laughs> I mean, what a hustle, Phil. I know, I know. I don't know why, I don't know, like, why my parents weren't asking more questions of why I <laughs> needed to download the software to, like, rip the, it was Family Guy. I was burning, like, ripping Family Guy DVDs from the library, <laughs> and it was very sketchy. Yeah, I quickly realized why you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> and it was very very swift actually that they got they got uh, smart I to believe the, it. yeah I'm just trying to imagine you doing this and thinking gosh why hasn't why isn't everybody doing this I know, <laughs> like I know. this is a great I, racket yeah I cracked the code there <laughs> it, you you really did okay so you're you got in trouble for it so did you hear from ebay or did you hear from the companies like sony or whomever like did they send you like a cease and desist i mean because it is you know like a pretty serious thing but i have to imagine in the early aughts i don't know you know what did the legal team look like at that point i think it was from ebay probably on behalf of of like sony or whatever and actually the ban was not that long Oh, wow. And I remember being kind of surprised by it. Like, yeah, like once I realized what I was doing and then realized that I was caught, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's interesting that you said the ban wasn't that long, because I feel like nowadays on eBay, if you did that, I mean, that sounds like an like immediate lifetime, lifetime yeah. ban. I mean, yeah, people yeah. get sometimes banned for, I mean, doing nothing. I mean, I've heard from people before that have said their account is just up and gone. So, I mean, that is so rare. I mean, if you would have, what, whatever it was at the time, I mean, it could have been 30 days. That's nothing. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think looking back at that era of eBay, I think they've definitely tried to like recover from that. Like when people used to be able to get away from that, I think they kind of got a bad rap from there. So that's maybe Mm -hmm. why they're so so strict comparatively like even to Poshmark I think they're the strictest place that you would sell but yeah I mean I don't even think I sold any really (laughs) that's the saddest part of it all yeah all that hard work whatever (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny okay so you know then you said in high school you were going to thrift stores buying clothes and then selling them back to buy sell trade stores is that what you were doing Yeah, I mean, I would kind of, like, customize stuff. I was, like, very outrageous in high school. Like, Uh really crazy clothes, really, like, outside of the box. And I got really into fashion and sewing. And so I would kind of, like, customize stuff. And I had a huge wardrobe, like, huge, huge closet. 
And so I'd go to the thrift store, customize stuff, and then mix it into my wardrobe until I didn't have a use for it anymore. And then mm-hmm. sell it to local buy, sell. Tr- I don't know if you guys have like Ragorama. It's more of like a grungy, like mm. vintage buy, sell trade store. Oh, it's that not sounds like cool. A, yeah. It's not like a fancy, like Plato's closet kind of thing. So I guess that was reselling, but I didn't really know I was doing it. If that makes right. sense. Yeah, it does. Okay. So then moving from there, you said that your journey took you to New York, but yeah. in between there, I do know that from your Yeah, your I didn't even that mention you, that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Let's hear about yeah. that. So I went to college for fashion design. I went to Savannah College of Art Design. So I actually studied menswear there. That's where the high school like customizing clothes kind of comes into comes more into focus. So yeah, I got a degree there and then I moved, kind of moved around. I moved to Maryland for a while and I ended up designing men's clothes for like big box stores. So think Costco, Walmart, Sam's Club, that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. which was really not what I saw myself doing when I was in high Mm -hmm. school or college, but I learned a ton about the industry and I mean, really like computers and I now I do a lot of graphic design in addition to reselling we'll talk Mm -hmm. about that in a little bit but that's where I kind of picked that up from and I also learned about how wasteful the fashion industry is you wouldn't know how many samples go through like one one item that's sold at one of these big box stores like go through like 300 samples and yeah all of the shipping that goes into that and it's all very, very fast. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we're overnighting stuff to China very frequently. So, I mean, it's a, it, I learned a lot about the industry. <laughs> okay. So, where you grew up, is that Ohio? And then you went yes, to? I, okay. Yeah, then I grew you went up to Georgia. in Columbus, Ohio. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then you moved to Georgia. You arrived down there and you do this program and you graduate when you were working designing clothes for a big box store, sorry, were you still living in Georgia at that time? I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I, so after I graduated from college, I like moved back home as the unemployed college kid for about three months until I was able to get a job. And that was when I moved to Maryland. Okay. So then once you're in Maryland, you know, in your notes here, you said that you spent eight years designing for big box yeah. stores? Is that right? I mean, so, that's a long time. Yeah, I did four years at my first job. And then I got a job offer in New York. And okay. for basically, you don't work for the big box stores. It's mm-hmm. all like contracted out. So oh. you work for companies that supply like supply the stuff to the stores under a name brand. If that okay. makes sense. Yeah. So like... The stuff I'm like, Walmart, I don't know if that, you signed like any non-disclosures. I'm like, how much more specific can you get in an example for us? Yeah. So like at, I'll use an example at a store. I didn't do it for. Okay. Um, that sounds at good. Like <laughs> BJ's, which is a similar store to like Sam's club or Costco. They have their own brand huh. that they sell there. Kind of like Kirkland is to Costco. Right. So they don't actually have designers in house that are designing that stuff. Gotcha. It's all another company. Okay, so I got it. Right. So a, a lot of there's a whole infrastructure of these companies that basically bid on an item 
mm-hmm. to have the opportunity to design the polo shirt that sold at BJ's. Interesting. Oh gosh, I feel like I have two questions here. <laughs> I'm like, and I need to remember both of them. So for instance, at a store like a BJ's or a Costco, I'm going to say Costco just because I'm a, yeah. more familiar with them, for example. But when I go into Costco and I look at the clothing section and I'll see a few different you know, a couple different things. One, I will see the Kirkland signature clothing. And then also I'll see the name brand clothing. It might, you know, for instance, maybe it'll be Vince Camuto. Mm-hmm. So is Vince Camuto actually designing those, those clothing, or is it sent again to somebody like you to design? And then they just put the Vince Camuto name on it. It kind of depends on the brand. So basically the a lot of comp- a lot of big companies will like if you think about Calvin Klein mm-hmm. that's like they're it's a big conglomerate of it's called Philip Van Heusen so they own like a ton of different brands yeah. and they would contract out people under their name so I'm trying to think of a good example maybe they don't have a department at Calvin Klein who does their neckties so they will go to a company that does just neckties and maybe Mm -hmm. that company does neckties for calvin klein and michael kors and all of these different companies but they specialize in neckties at varying qualities varying price points okay so they'll do the silk neckties they'll do the polyester neckties all over the place so probably the vince camuto brand would license out their name mm-hmm. to another company. Got if it. that makes sense. And yeah, then it does make Vince, okay. Yeah, Vince Camuto would have Sorry, like approval. <laughs> yeah, they would have approval over what brand like what is sold under their name. Okay. And they have qual- quality standards and everything that needs to be met. Well, I mean Costco and all of those stores also have their own quality standards, but it's because the with the big box stores, it's so much different than like being sold at Macy's or stuff like that, that it's almost better that you specialize with the big box stores almost, if that okay, makes sense. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And then I guess my second question too is that, you know, I've heard on social media, people will say stuff like, and I don't know if you know the answer to this. This is actually right. just my own curiosity and you worked in this industry. So I'm not sure if you'll even be able to answer it, but you know, people will say stuff like, oh, the leggings that Kirkland Signature sells, those are, those are the same ones as Lululemon, but they just put Kirkland Signature on it. I mean, no, I, I I know there's like the whole thing with the the coffee or no they say the vodka is made by Grey Goose I know that but right. I don't really so I have no idea if that's true but I would say with the apparel it's based on my experience a lot of companies so the they will basically go to Lululemon and cut the leggings and then cut that fabric and then just send it to China and then sometimes they can even get the same fabric mill in China to duplicate the fabric almost exactly and then have them produce them in under the Kirkland name. So it wouldn't be that 
oh, these are Lululemon leggings. It's that these are basically duped, you know? Got it. It's duped so closely that they know what they're doing. They're cutting the fabric. They're saying duplicate this fabric as close as possible in this exact weight, in this exact weave with any finishes that they put on there. So they get really, really close (laughs) in my experience. So when you're designing clothes for, you know, for the house brand of said big box store, do you get guidance in terms of, hey, we're looking for this? And, you know, where did you kind of look to for inspiration or where was there any really wiggle room to have any inspiration or, you know, Um, were there just cut, you know, black and white directions, do this, do that. I mean, there would definitely be like, okay, we're going to need this item, whether it's like a quarter zip pullover and that's going to be our big item for the season. So it shopping would be the main thing. And especially in my second job in New York, because of the accessibility of like all of the shopping in New York, we were shopping constantly and knowing what's on the market and kind of when you're working with mass market like that, you really have to show that it's tested and it works and that it's very, very accessible design. Basically you take inspiration from the market and then you can show that to a retailer and then say, we'll make these changes and then go from there. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So you were you, going, you were going out and doing actual shopping at other stores yeah. of products that you thought this big box store might like. Yes. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's like, yeah. (laughs) It's kind of like not the best at the end of the day, but you know, Well, I think it's more, it's more common though than people think. Right. I mean, I've often heard that that's the case with a lot of fast fashion brands, right. That they go to designer stores and purchase merchandise. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that with the fast fashion brands, they're, the quality is just, I mean, they're not even paying attention to the quality and there's probably no changes made at all. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we would definitely make changes and adjust certain things. And with some of these retailers, their quality standards are actually really, really high. Whereas fast fashion, they, you know, there's no, there's no quality standards for some of that stuff. But at least for what I was doing, the testing that would go into like producing an item that's, you know, they're making 1.5 million units of it. They are testing, mm-hmm. testing, testing, testing. And these factories are like some of the, you know, there's, there's no child labor happening in any of these factories because they're very on top of it. Oh, well, that's great to hear. That's, yeah. that's something good <laughs> out of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I know there's like definitely a, the thought that like some of these big stores have it happening and you really can't have PR like that anymore. Think of some of the big brands in like the late nineties, early aughts that that happened to, and it was very, very damaging. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. So you do this for eight years. It takes you all the way to New York. So how does reselling make its way back into your life? Yeah. I mean, I was basically, I lived in Brooklyn with my husband and I am like the biggest shopper and my husband is not the biggest shopper. So it was kind of always my weekend activity that I would go to spin class and then go to L train vintage, which is like a big chain of thrift stores. Mm 
throughout Brooklyn, but they're like huge warehouse sized almost. And just kind of like look through the racks. And then I think it was actually like a Johnny O button up shirt. I was like, oh, that's not my size, but like, I bet I could sell that online. And Mm -hmm. then I was like, wait, I should probably just try it because I already have an eBay account. And then I did it. And then I realized there was like a huge community and I actually found you shortly after that. (laughs) And I was like, this is totally a thing. And then it kind of just went from there and, you know, started cross listing and having an inventory of stuff and tracking all of the stuff. I'm like a super busybody person. Like I'm always have to be doing something. So it it quickly took over. Yeah. Okay. So what year was that? Sorry. 2018. 2018. You do that. And then I know that there's a storage unit that comes into play. Yeah. So, well, COVID happened in 2020 Mm -hmm. and obviously New York was not really the place to be when that Mm -hmm. first started. So I started working from home. I still, I kept my job and everything kind of stopped thrifting, but we had actually decided that we were going to move to Ohio. We had planned on actually moving to Ohio and I was going to quit my job and my husband was actually going to go to school to get a PhD Mm -hmm. and that was going to happen in Ohio. So COVID was really what kicked us to do it. Mm -hmm. And I was going to leave the fashion industry because I didn't like that. I had to live in New York to work in fashion. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I hated being tied so much to one city. So I wanted to shift into doing something else. And I wasn't really sure what that was. And especially with COVID and all the stores being closed, I didn't really think that reselling was possible full-time. Maybe Mm -hmm. I could do it part-time, but I would have to figure something else out in Ohio. And then I kind of actually started talking to my contacts in New York. Some people I had, you know, I always say, tell people what you do because months prior I had went to like a repair place where they fix like zippers and shoes and stuff. And they had, were fixing a jacket for me. And I mentioned, oh yeah, I'm a reseller. And this guy kind of quirky guy, like pulls out this trash bag and he's like, oh, I have all these clothes. Do you want to buy this bag of clothes? And I'm like, sure, because it actually had good stuff in it. And then he was like, if you ever need more, let me know. So that like clicked in my mind. And I was like, I should call that guy. And then I called him and he was like, oh, I actually have a storage unit because my friend, she had a vintage store. It's This is the weirdest story. She had a vintage (laughs) store. And when COVID hit, she was in Romania. And she's just going to stay in Romania and pursue her lifelong dream of being a spoken word poet. Wow. So I now have all of the stuff from her store. And oh I'm gosh. like, this is weird, but <laughs> I guess let's see it. So he, I went out to this kind of a uh, warehousey area of Brooklyn and where the storage unit was. And he like opened the storage unit. And if you want to see it's on my, on my Instagram in like a story highlight called storage okay. unit. 
it is a huge storage unit and it was just packed like to the brim of with cloth bags like cloth trash bag size bags okay and then just packed with clothes like so many clothes and I opened up one bag and I saw a like Balenciaga runway dress from oh my gosh like, 2007 which was in horrible condition but I was like if this is in the first bag then I have to see what's here and then so I ended up taking like four or five bags home and just kind of like sorting through it and in those bags I found fry boots like vintage leather jackets just amazing stuff and it's he was like well you can either buy the bags or I'll talk to her and see if she wants to sell the whole thing to you and Mm -hmm. I ended up buying it buying the whole unit for three thousand dollars and I mean I sold I more than doubled my money on that that's amazing yeah the complicated part was of course now I have this unit and I'm moving to Columbus and I have to ship the unit to Ohio which was just a logistical nightmare (laughs) yeah (laughs) and another expense talk to me about that because that is like you know, an experience that some people may come across in their reselling career is having to move their business from one state to another. How do you yeah, do it? I mean, like, you weren't even moving like your current inventory. This was new inventory you hadn't necessarily planned on taking in. Right. And I was moving all of my, my life too. <laughs> right. So, I mean, that's where I always say like with reselling or even just owning your own business, being a problem solver and figuring it out is like one of the most valuable tools you can have because mm-hmm. a lot of people would have just been like oh my god this is too much but I had to like it kind of in order for me to work for myself and be self-employed I needed to get that inventory to Ohio so mm-hmm. the goal was we were going to pack up our apartment and then get go to the storage unit. I don't know how I convinced my husband go to the storage (laughs) unit and then load up the truck with the stuff from the storage unit. Mm -hmm. And we're like halfway through it. And we've already moved all the stuff from the apartment and a third floor walk up and we're just exhausted. We have our dog just so angry in the car and (laughs) I'm like, we're not going to be able to do it like there's too much stuff because it was packed so tight and I didn't know how far back the unit went. So I kind of just left it and continued to pay on it for probably like six months, but I was able to empty like half of it. And we moved all of that in our like initial move. And luckily I stored it in my dad's garage while I was able to like, cause I had to, you have to process all this stuff. It doesn't just magically, you know, go in a hanger and is a lot of it had to be cleaned a lot of it was garbage so it was a very very long process (laughs) and then I actually so I ended up when I moved the rest of it I ended up contacting like a freight shipping company okay and I went back to New York and they you can actually buy or like rent a portion of a semi-truck and then they will drive the truck for you so I think that I rented like a sixth of a semi truck and filled that up and then was able to finally get that last of it. To, yeah, to that's, Ohio. 
That just sounds like a huge undertaking. I mean, worth it. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's very, very stressful. And I can totally imagine that feeling that you had. Like you said, you just finished cleaning out your apartment and you've got your dog yeah. and you guys show up to empty out the unit and you're just dead tired. Yeah. And, and yeah, somebody's got to do it. Yeah, it was like the, the and it was summer in New York. So the oh, level no. of like <laughs> nastiness I was, oh my God, it was, I was miserable and my husband was miserable. But... Yeah, that sounds terrible. <laughs> Are you tired of spending hours sharing and sending offers to likers? Introducing Posher VA, the web program that will save you time and increase your sales. With Posher VA, you can automatically share your closet, send offers to likers, and schedule your share times all with just a few clicks. Using code ELDUCHO, you can try Posher VA for two weeks for free, no credit card required. Posture VA is not just another program, it is your program. Say goodbye to manual sharing and hello to even more time in your business. Try Posture VA today using code ELDUCHO, E-L-D-U-C-H-O. So, yeah. you know, you mentioned that there's this 2007 Balenciaga piece in there. I, I mean, was that, did that end up being the best piece that you came across in oh, covering no. all of it? Okay, what's the best piece that you found in there, if you can remember? There was, like, a Red Hot Chili Peppers sweatshirt that was, oh, wow. I ended up selling for $300. Wow. Um, just a vintage, rare sweatshirt. There was mm -hmm. a lot of stuff like that. And then also, I mean, just amazing boots and shoes. And a lot of just random designer pieces. Like, there was a Loewe dress that had a stain on it but mm -hmm. that was really cool one of the things that like I think it really really helped me is that I was forced to sell it so I was mm -hmm. forced I was forced to learn about brands that I wouldn't have known otherwise yeah if that makes sense and it's still to this day like I knew about vintage prior to that but I didn't know the level of it mm -hmm. like after I had to sell all of that stuff I learned a lot um, oh, for sure. And of like of the that, terminology and everything. Yeah, yeah, the terminology too, right? Of all of that stuff, is there anything that you kept for yourself? Or just couldn't sell like, you know, something that, yeah. like your own little museum piece? Yeah, well, I, again, me with sweaters, like there were definitely some <laughs> sweaters. I think there was a, there was a mohair sweater cardigan. I don't know if you know, like the Kurt Cobain one. Oh, okay. That uh -huh. like there he wore it on MTV Unplugged and it's worth yeah. like it's like in a museum. I don't know. It sold for like a hundred thousand dollars at auction. I don't know. But it's wow. Not exactly like that, but it's kind of like that. Mm -hmm. And I kept that and just some other things. I'm trying to think in particular. Mostly sweaters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that, you know, with some of the pieces, they were maybe in disrepair. Did your time being at, you know, the, the college that you attended, you know, did you walk away with any skills for repairing clothing? Yeah. I mean, so I, and I did do a lot of the repairing, but it, it ended up being not really worth it. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Like, I ended up with just having a pile of stuff. 
that I said <laughs> I would repair this, I would repair it, and it just never happened. So yeah. I realized, and I still do this to this day, I end up with all these piles of stuff that never get repaired. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people can probably relate to that. Okay, so yeah. you've moved back home, you know, and that was in 2020. Mm-hmm. What has 2020 to now looked like? for your business. Are you a full-time reseller? Yeah. So I've actually, I, so I lived in Columbus and then my husband and I were actually long distance from Columbus to Athens, Ohio, which is about an hour and a half away from Columbus in like the country. Um, That's where he was getting his PhD. And Mm -hmm. so I actually ended up moving to Athens, Ohio. And right now I am an hour and a half from any thrift store or a good thrift store. So currently I, I want to say I'm like full-time self-employed. I was recently contacted by my old, my old employer to freelance as a graphic designer there as a print designer. Oh, cool. So I started doing that and that's kind of reminded me how much I love the computer aided work, like Mm -hmm. Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop. So I've started that and I've took on some other graphic design projects which is really really exciting but I would never stop thrifting so I now I go to Columbus to do my thrifting once a week on Fridays and I have like a huge thrift day where I go to the bins the Goodwill outlet and then I usually hit up like three or four other thrift stores and it ends up being a very very long exhausting day but I that's my big sourcing day. And then I have scaled back the amount that I'm listing. Um, Mm -hmm. For a while, I was doing Poshmark Lives as a way to only, because I wanted to only list stuff that was like $25 and up. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Poshmark Lives would be the $25 and below and, you know, throw in some nicer stuff too. However, Poshmark Lives are shifting <laughs> in popularity <laughs> okay I don't want to say shifting in popularity they there's a lot of people on there at the moment so yeah. I'm trying to figure out some other options I am you know one of the best parts about being self-employed is that you can do what you love so I've been trying to figure out what I like most about reselling and yeah. what I dislike the most and I want to say I dislike listing mm-hmm. and I've had virtual assistants that I have helped me before and I just hate photographing and I hate listings. So I'm playing around. I'll, I might start using flip or figuring something else out, but I am still listing. I've definitely scaled it back. Okay. Got it. Well, yeah, that was going to be my, my next question is like, where do you sell currently? But it sounds like there's, Posh yeah, so Mac, there's Posh live shows. Yeah, and eBay. Um, and I'm mostly trying to focus more on menswear, especially here. There's a huge, like, a lot of the thrift stores here, blazers and, like, men's tailoring is, mm-hmm. like, so, so cheap. And yeah. that stuff I've always done pretty well with on Poshmark and eBay. So, like, on the amount invested versus what you get out of it, I mean, some of the blazers here are, like, 99 cents for Lauren Ralph Lauren wool wow. blazers. So, I mean, that's a huge, you know, return. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, So niching down is really 
kind of where I want to go next. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's smart what you said that you're trying to figure out what you enjoy and what you don't enjoy about reselling. And sometimes right. that can even come to just what we like to sell, right? You, you need to figure out what you like selling. Some people just, you know, maybe they don't enjoy selling men's clothes, for instance, and, right. but they were picking it up because it was there and available to them. But ultimately, you know, it, you, you bring it home and it's sitting in a pile on the floor. And if you don't like photographing it, right, where are you going to find the motivation to to do it and now you've purchased it and yeah so no I think that's really smart and I think it's kind of a journey sometimes in figuring out because those things evolve what you enjoy and don't enjoy doing well and that's actually I didn't even mention this but I was actually doing liquidation for in 2021 that was my big thing because I I won a Poshmark I won like the Poshmark Carton Hustle grant yeah I don't know if you remember them doing that and then I I also did the paycheck protection Mm-hmm. thing so I yeah. got a loan for that so I focused a ton on liquidation and I realized I got like probably went through seven pallets and then I was kind of like I don't like this <laughs> <laughs> I like to shop I like thrifting. Yep. like yeah. this is not for me so yeah no it's I always mean, important I feel like to take a look at your business and be like what what is good about this and what is not because my happy happiness is like the most important part. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And with liquidation, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's like, that is something that you lose is the ability to pick your own inventory. I mean, yeah, it's probably the most exciting part of the process is actually like, you know, Getting purchasing or bidding on a pallet. And, yeah. but then once you get it, it's just like, oh, oh no, now I have four or 500 stuff. pieces of clothing. Right. And I, I mean, I'm sure you can attest to that. Maybe 85% of it is stuff that you don't actually want to list. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it looks so fun. Like, like watching other people do it. Right. I like got so, and I even made the, the like Instagram reels and everything. And I'm like, I should need, this is not as fun as I'm making this look because <laughs> this is horrible. <laughs> I still have a lot of inventory from those days, but. Okay. So tell me about, you know, what does your workspace and business operation look like? Because, you know, back when you were in New York, you're operating it out of your apartment. Mm-hmm. What does it look like yeah. now that you're in Ohio? Do you have more space? Yes. So I have a home office and then I have a, we have this weird big house. Like the basement is weirdly finished and it was a separate apartment. Um, nice. again, I live in the country, so it's not like, it's not that like fancy big house. Don't think that it's the country. I live <laughs> in the country. Yeah. So I have an office and then I have a nice big inventory room where I have all my bins and everything ready to go. That's great. No, it sounds yeah. like you've got a lot of room to spread out. So that's definitely seems like it's not one of the challenges you face anymore. You know, my next question was going to be asking you, what are some of the challenges that you face? Uh, you kind of touched on one, which is that there's not anywhere good to source around you. You know, I, I mean, you can elaborate on that one more if you'd like, but are, but are there other things that you feel like are challenges that you're facing in your business right now? I mean, more just like juggling the the freelance job and the 
reselling business. Mm-hmm. It's hard because both of them are self-employed. Like it would yeah. almost be better if if one was like a job that I went into and had someone to, you know, mm. be us. <laughs> yeah. Because I kind of like wake up and I'm like, should I do the freelancing? Should I do the this? So I've definitely um within the past month like had a schedule that I need to stick to like okay 8 a.m to 1 p.m I'm going to do the freelance and then 1 p.m to 5 p.m I'm going to do the reselling and then at this time I will ship and then at this time being really really regimented and strict with you know scheduling and then that has helped a lot and I mean the I actually feel like not living close to a thrift store is helpful Mm -hmm. because I used to like stop working like if if I didn't want to work anymore I would be like oh well I need to go thrifting when I really it was just an excuse to not list things Mm -hmm. so it's actually helpful (laughs) yeah no I mean I think a lot of people are going to relate to that statement (laughs) yeah and also being self-employed like a yeah having a budget like I used to just go to the thrift store and buy whatever whereas now I go on a Friday and I'm like okay I have $400 of you know that's what I'm gonna spend this week so it's helped I recommend everyone move to the country away from the thrift stores I'm just kidding yeah I mean (laughs) I yeah I'd probably that'd probably be good for me but you know we'd always figure out a way to just get clothing to us I mean if I can't get it by vehicle I'll just I don't know get a drone or something (laughs) <laughs> yeah, except Amazon out here takes, there's no two-day Amazon delivery. It's crazy. It's like oh, five really? Days. So yeah. how long does it take you to get? A, oh, five, five days. days. Yeah. I mean, we act like that's so long. But <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I guess they shouldn't call yours Amazon Prime then, right? It should be like Amazon-ish or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's very strange. I'm I'm adapting. Yeah, for sure. Well, you have the beauty of space. So that's the good thing. I'm sure it's very beautiful around you. I I was just going to say that it's interesting that you said maybe it would be better to have in some ways one of the jobs be more structured because then you don't have to be as self-motivated as you need to be. Because I don't think that that is something that people can truly grasp with self-employment or becoming a full-time reseller, for instance, that is probably one of the most difficult things to do is to be self-motivated in this job to do all the things because there are so many different components to this job. And I think for a lot of people, you know, going out and sourcing new inventory is not the hardest of all of the tasks. Oh, yeah. It is, you know, bringing it home, processing it, cleaning it photographing it, listing it, doing all of that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, I just wonder, you said that now that you are, have taken on this freelance work related to, you know, what you went to school for, and you said it kind of made you miss that. Do you think that, and this one is probably hard to answer, but do you think that you'll at some point that it'll switch and maybe you'll get so far into this job. You'll say, Oh, I kind of miss the reselling part. Yeah. Do you think it's just a, a grass is greener situation or, or maybe it's just more of no, the, the graphic design work that you're doing is just more of your passion. I don't know. That's a good question. 
Um, yeah, I know. It's kind of hard to answer. It's more just like, what are your thoughts? I mean, I, I really like doing the graphic design work, but they're almost, it's like separating out the reselling. I'm still doing the reselling. I'm just trying to only do the parts that I like. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's okay. That. I <laughs> I feel like maybe I just gave you a question to think about. It's just, yeah. you know, it's, I think as somebody who has left, you know, myself left a job to resell full time and maybe there's that question that comes up from other people of, do you, and it was, this was probably more often when I had first left my job of like, do you miss it or whatever questions like that? And I would say no. <laughs> and I still don't miss it, but I, I maybe do still have fleeting thoughts of like what it would be like to ever go back to, you know, yeah, traditional I mean, I, work setting. Yes. And as I'm like working with my old company that is coming back where I'm like remembering like office drama and like yeah the people and like just workplaces like cubicles and mm-hmm. phones ringing and like the chaos but I definitely do miss the structure of it it as much as that's probably what people hate the most about their office job like it's and I didn't like it when I was there but it's kind of like the accountability of being like, okay, I have to be at work at nine and I will leave at five. Right. Um, and like, I have lunch at noon or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. And minutes. nobody's going to bother you after 5 p.m. Right. Right. Um, and you have weekends off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, now it's like, cause now I like work out at 3 p.m. sometimes. And then I'm, you know, always always working. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, in thinking about your reselling business, I know that this one's probably maybe a little more difficult to answer just because you're kind of in this newer space in, in your career, but where you're, you're doing the freelance work and the reselling, mm-hmm. but you know, where do you see the future of your business going? Um, well, I definitely want to try and diversify more. I want to grow my social media more and I definitely want to do like YouTube, which I've always been such a fleeting, I'm such a fleeting YouTuber. Um, So (laughs) I definitely want to get more strict about posting videos there and again, just do more listing, but figure out how to get that balance of going through as much inventory, but not actually processing all that inventory. So figuring out a way to have somebody else do that, whether that's like, I was having somebody come in and help me photograph for a while. It's Mm -hmm. really hard to find people out here. Yeah. So that's, if I can have that happen again, that would be great. Just getting more help and kind of just streamlining the reselling thing. So it can almost function without me. It's also just a really interesting time to be a reseller and like what's next for reselling. That's kind of where the diversifying thing comes from because I always just worry. And I, it's funny, the reselling opportunity or the, the freelance opportunity came about when I was, I think a lot of resellers at the start of the year were kind of panicking all this talk about the economy and what's going on. And it's, it's really scary, 
owning your own business. <laughs> mm-hmm. And especially when that business, like, it is how your family eats. Like, when you get sick, any, like, anything could go wrong. And that's, you need to be prepared for the worst. Um, right. So I'm happy to diversify a little bit. And that's kind of what I want to do. <laughs> I don't know yeah, if that was a really somebody... roundabout way to answer your question. <laughs> Oh, no, it's okay. I mean, it's kind of hard to answer because just of the space that you're in with your business. I mean, it, you know, it just sounds like you're kind of figuring out where, where you want to land and how you want it to land. You know, I was going to say, as somebody who was formerly in the fashion business, you do you have any thoughts or insight on where you think the future of reselling is going? Well, the, at the start of the year, when everyone was freaking out about the economy, I actually think that reselling and secondhand clothes do really really well in a bad economy because people are always shopping for clothes and people want deals on clothes and mm-hmm. more people are becoming more comfortable with secondhand clothes and just like shopping on eBay or Poshmark and making offers on clothes and people like that so i actually think reselling will grow a lot mm-hmm. and I just think that a lot of, I think that there may be like a thinning of the herd a little bit Mm -hmm. because there are just a lot of resellers. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes they go to the thrift store. Yeah. And and people are kind of always cycling in and out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe that is more what you've been doing this longer than I have. So I think that's, maybe it's just the end of a cycle and then you're just seeing like, all these other new platforms too, like with the live selling, which I don't really know how long, if that's going to last forever. Um, Cause as somebody, I mean, I've been doing this. I don't know why I've been doing the live selling for so long. It is exhausting. Like <laughs> that is one of the, I thought it was so easy and it is in some ways, but right. I was doing it twice a week f- since October. Mm-hmm maybe even before that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, it's so, so much. And I'm, I'm taking a break this week and next week, but mm-hmm. I am addicted to it. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I'll probably be back to it. We'll see. Do you feel like it's like, I mean, it must be good money if you're doing it twice a week. It's less and less good money. I will say that. Okay. Um, okay. It started, I mean, when, when Poshmark started doing it, it was very good money just because the novelty was there and not, I was approved like immediately because I applied like straight off the bat. So if you were able to be consistent with it and you know, you had the main thing is you have to have the right personality to be, Mm -hmm. to do the live selling because that's what people are watching. They, Mm -hmm. they want a fun personality, but at the start there just weren't enough sellers to, basically everything was going to get bid up because Mm -hmm. it wasn't as competitive. And then now, which I totally don't blame Poshmark. It was, the writing was on the wall for them to allow more and more people to do it. So I don't, I'm not like bitter about that. So within the past month or so, I went from having like 50 people in my shows to like 20 or less. Mm -hmm. And that obviously affects who's bidding on stuff. But I mean, it's kind of funny. You get to know your customers really, really well. I've met some 
amazing like friends through Poshmark Lives and we have like inside jokes from the shows and <laughs> they come pretty much to every show and like I have a playlist that I do like a Nicki Minaj verse every time it comes on and like everyone knows <laughs> I do it and it's like so it's fun like the social aspect is really really fun yeah um so we'll see I don't maybe I'll try the other try whatnot um see if that's any different but and I'm just curious you know when talking about customers that you have in those live shows, are you finding that of those fluctuating numbers of 20, 30, 40, whatever people that are coming to your show, is it, I mean, it sounds like it, it is a lot of regulars. Do you get new people? Are you finding that new people are finding you? Yes. Every show there's definitely new people, but I always have like five to 10 of like repeat customers. Mm -hmm. I think it's a lot of people popping in and out. Yeah. Um, and kind of seeing what you have and what kind of stuff. If I was doing a lot of like $5, $7 starts and then bidding up, which is a risky way of doing it, but I'm kind of like chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so I would have a lot of people, a lot of new people popping in. What is this? What are you doing? Just recently I was doing $5, five pound, fill up a box. So I would like, have a big box and then be like, okay, this is going in this box and have like all size medium mm, and then okay. fill up that box yeah, and then tape it, tape the box shut and then have people bid on it. Yeah. So that's kind of fun. And that's, I actually got a lot of new people doing that and then just kind of shifting what time you do it is a good way to get new viewers and kind of introduce yourself to people. Yeah, no, that's smart. And I like the size box. I mean, as a shopper, I guess, you know, like as a reseller, yeah. I know it's like not, it's, I don't know why I see stuff like that as maybe more of a hassle. Maybe it's because you have to find enough of one size. Oh and yeah. Then... And that, that stuff is like stuff I need to get rid of basically. Got um, it. Kind of like. But as a buyer, we it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. But w like what we were talking about before, it's definitely that liquidation stuff I've had for like yeah. two years needs to go I cannot have it for another year of taxes but yeah. I mean yeah it is fun and I have fun doing it just because it's so fast moving and it's like you kind of don't know what's next kind of thing mm -hmm. yeah um so it's and we'll see what Poshmark does next with it I don't know that they've been doing enough of like updates like fun mm -hmm. things there hasn't really been any like innovation mm -hmm. with, with the shows. So I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Anything could happen. I think yeah. the past year with like the Poshmark acquisition, right. you never really know what could happen. <laughs> I don't think any, I don't think anybody, any reseller had that on their bingo card that they were going to be taken <laughs> private and then right that this would happen. So yeah, but no, they continue to surprise us all yeah, it will be interesting to see over the course of the next year what comes of the acquisition and what changes that we might see. And I mean, it makes sense that we're maybe not seeing any big changes happen now in the beginning of this right. acquisition happening. I mean, I'm sure they're let, you know, things are, you know, letting the dust settle and all that sort of stuff.
Yeah, I mean, at one point, it almost felt like Poshmark was going to do away with that. It was just going to be a live selling platform, just because they have put so much like focus onto the live selling. I hope wow. that I hope that either they, I don't know, I I miss the old Poshmark. Mm-hmm. As much as I love, as much as I love the live selling, I do miss the listing, like the yeah. just like static, quiet Poshmark. <laughs> the quiet. <laughs> yeah, but yes, where you don't have to be singing and dancing to sell yeah. your clothes. Exactly. Looking back now at this long journey that we've been talking about since you were twelve years old, ripping DVDs from the public library. Right. <laughs> You know, what advice would you have given yourself when you were first starting out? I mean, or at any point in your journey, I guess. Um, well, specifically with reselling and like buying stuff to be more picky, I always love a good deal, sometimes to my detriment. And I buy things and then I get home and I'm like, why did I buy this? Because now mm-hmm. I have to, I have to list this thing. So I can be a little impulsive. So definitely I would tell myself to be more picky and especially with like liquidation, do you need to list things for $10 mm-hmm. dealing with all those $10 listings that no one wanted? Right. <laughs> um, so, I mean, make sure that the effort you're putting into listing stuff is actually worth it at the end of the day. And then also have realistic expectations. I think when I went into reselling, I thought it was going to be a lot easier than it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, like full-time going when I went into selling full-time yeah, and it's hard and you never really know what's next. And one thing that's really important is like you are at mercy to your, the platform you are selling on. So mm-hmm. always keeping that in mind that, really it's up to Poshmark or it's up to eBay. You need to always play by their rules and also prepare for the worst. I mean, one thing about being self-employed and being like a reseller is like, what happens if you get sick? Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot that can go wrong. And I've definitely, I mean, I had COVID like two weeks ago and Mm -hmm. literally could not work for five days. And that was awful. But luckily I've kind of been doing this long enough that I've been able to like set aside resources for when that does happen. So I had to learn that the hard way though. When I started out, there were definitely days where it was, it was tight. (laughs) Yeah. I think that it is a huge transition to go from doing this as, you know, side income or part-time work to taking it full-time. And there's a lot of things that I think that people don't always think of when they're leaving a, a full-time job to do full-time reselling, you know, Mm -hmm. um, health insurance. Yeah, exactly. It's that total compensation package that you are getting from your former employer, right? We don't, people don't think of the costs of healthcare or they do for some people, that's a big one that they might take into account. But, you know, other fringe benefits, right? Sick days or vacation time or, you know, maybe every Tuesday and Thursday, your company ordered lunch for everybody, right? Free lunches, that adds up. You know, it's 
all these little things that you don't necessarily take into account until you, <laughs> until you no longer have them. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. And I mean, you have to say, like, oh, well, I'm sick in bed, but I, I guess I could still be listing while I'm in bed. Right, right. And the idea of taking a vacation now is just so much different than it used to be. Yeah. Like I have to, I feel like I have to plan so far ahead in taking vacations that I almost just don't do it. Right. It's, it's, it's so hard. much work. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of work. There's a lot of planning that goes into it ahead of time because maybe you want to you know, get a bunch of listings batched so that you can still be maybe putting out new listings while you're enjoying, trying to enjoy your vacation. Right, right. You're communicating with buyers on, hey, this will get shipped out on this date when I come back, you know, communicating that to them, you know, just managing those expectations of everybody. And then the other stuff just doesn't stop, right? You still have customer questions. You may have to deal with a return. Right. All that different stuff that's going to come up. Or like up, so. someone, someone paid for their eBay listing while you're on vacation three days after they bought it. Right. That's yes. the worst. I've taken, I've had to take stuff literally on vacation with me because oh, yeah. they didn't pay. And I'm like, they're yes. going to pay when I get to my destination. <laughs> so it's, I'll pack yeah, this up. Yeah, it's so you. true. And then now you've got to worry about, okay, where am I going to print a label from? <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, better bring so bring funny. the thermal printer on vacation too. Right, exactly. <laughs> I listen. I've known people who've traveled with it before, so maybe it's oh, not really? the worst idea. <laughs> yeah, thank God yeah. they're light, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that that's some really great advice, and I I agree actually with with all of it, especially being uh, picky with your inventory purchases when you're just starting out. It's kind of hard advice to hear. I think yeah. uh, it's one of those things that probably most people just, you just have to learn it because <laughs> you yeah. won't listen to it is the truth, but it will pay off in the long run because you'll get to that second year of reselling and you're going to go through, do an inventory check and you're going to think, oh my gosh, why did I buy this? And, oh, I can't even, I didn't even think this was still here. You know, that that's even going back to like that storage unit I bought, I listed almost everything from that. And as I'm doing my inventory clean out, I'm looking at this stuff and I'm like, this is from that storage unit. Why did I list this stupid t-shirt? Like no one was going to buy. One thing I always tell myself is like someone actually has to want to buy that. Right. (laughs) And it sounds like such an easy thing to put in your head. Like, of course someone has to buy it, but like, no, there actually needs to be a human being, like a real person on the other end who like (laughs) wants they go on the internet and they sought that t-shirt out for $10, right. which yeah, is... Yeah, and I think that that's where it comes into play of what we were talking about earlier when you, you know, saying, finding the parts of the business that you like and wanting to list inventory that you enjoy listing, right? So I guess if right. you like it and you feel good about it, right? And then hopefully yeah. that there's also proof of concept, meaning that you can find comparable sold listings that people will actually pay for something like this, then it's a go. But just thinking, hey, this is cool, might not be enough. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Phil. This has been such a fun conversation. I feel like there's probably still so so many parts of your prior job, that eight years working in fashion design that I probably could have asked you a million questions about. So we'll have to save the, you know, all that part of your of your employment for part two we'll do it we'll have to do another follow-up at some point 
yes, I would love that. Where will I awesome. be in, in four years? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, put it on the calendar now. Well, thank yeah. you so much. It was so great talking to you. And thanks, I'll Denali. See you soon. Yeah. Bye. Thank you again to Phil for being on this week's episode of the podcast with me. It was such a pleasure getting to sit down and talk with him about his journey through fashion school and graphic design working for large retailers. I'm sure we could have gone a whole other hour just talking about that, but I had to restrain myself. Again, you can find Phil on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok under the username found by Phil, and all of this information will be in the show notes for you. I hope that you're enjoying my return to the podcast world. If you are, I'd so appreciate if you could subscribe to the podcast if you're not already, and then additionally, leave a five-star review in the Apple Podcast app. It does help us and helps others discover this podcast as well. I hope you all have a wonderful start to your week. And until next time, keep on listing and keep on selling.